0: on the record with gavin riley brought to you by pwc on news talk now buried in westminster abbey and remembered too with a statue on the corridor of the palace of westminster fair to say that henry grattan is the most honoured irishman within the walls of the british parliament born on this day in 1746 july the 3rd he was also undoubtedly once, probably the most famous Irishman on the world stage. But for someone who is so commemorated around us, Henry Grattan, his brand of nationalism and what he tried to achieve for this island, is actually a somewhat forgotten figure uh, in Ireland's political life. And Donald Fallon has just come fresh from the division lobbies of Westminster to check <laughs> that the statue is still there, uh, to be back with us in studio this lunchtime. Um, Donald, we never made it back to Grattan's Parliament, which is probably the, part of the reason why he's been largely forgotten in Irish life.
1: I'm glad to report they still have a government over there, just about. But <laughs> okay. yeah, you're right. <laughs> Grattan's Parliament, you know, and maybe. In post-independence Ireland, imagine if the doll uh, had taken up a tome on College Green. Mm. Uh, maybe would, we would know more of, of Henry Grattan. I love his statue, uh, armed in the air, you know, pose of an orator uh, facing his alma mater, looking over at, at Trinity College, beside a parliament that he, he fought courageously for, and one that he actually travelled to London in the early 19th century uh, trying to secure for us mm. once more. You just so, remarked
0: before, we, before you came into studio that the uh, the, the statue is probably facing the wrong way. That if the statue was supposed to be there, kind of commemorating Grattan's role in setting up that Parliament in College Green which we'll explain more about for people who don't understand it it should probably be facing that Parliament and not the College Yeah but, totally or yeah. even
1: standing in front of us, you know even standing in front of it and there was a time when all great political careers ended under the floorboards of Westminster Abbey you know if you were <laughs> if you were anyone that was the aspiration Prime Ministers like Pitt uh, and Parliamentarians like like Grattan mm. and I think that's the greatest show of respect the British Parliament you know can offer so how did an Irish nationalist get there yeah. and you know what kind of Irish nationalist was he and and, you know, it's interesting that Grattan, you know, he's he's right there, too, in the corridor of the House of Commons. Sometimes you get a glimpse of him uh, on Sky News, you know, mm-hmm. when the parliamentarians uh, are, are rushing by into the House of Commons. Uh,
0: because what's remarkable about how much he's forgotten is that there's so much memory of other people, the, some of the Irish names that people obsess over in British politics. You could talk about Burke, but you could also talk about Parnell.
1: Yes, we can talk about Grattan's kind of forgotten figure in Ireland. But, you know, he's not a name that's recalled in in political discourse over there either. You know, not in the way of, yeah, Charles Stuart Parnell or or, or Parnell, famously Mm. alluded to uh, by Jacob Rees-Mogg. Wasn't that so bizarre? (laughs) That that feels like a million years ago. uh, In 2019, when when Jacob Rees-Mogg told... Is it actually that long ago?
0: That's that long
1: ago. extraordinary. He tells the House, the approach taken today is the most unconstitutional use of this House since the days of Charles Stuart Parnell, when he tried to bung up Parliament. And there was also news around that same time that Nigel Farage uh, had a picture of Parnell in his in his Brussels office yeah. and remembered him positively. This is interesting. Farage remembered him positively for the exact same reason that Jacob Rees-Mogg condemned him. Nigel Farage said that Parnell was the great disruptor of the UK Parliament. So Parnell and you know Daniel O'Connell to a lesser extent these are figures that are are more easily recalled. Mm. I mean Barack Obama stands on College Green and he talks to us about Daniel O'Connell. Henry Grattan has kind of somewhat fallen through the cracks of history.
0: And maybe the reason why he's fallen through the cracks because his heyday and the exciting time was was earlier than that, that it was a little further back in history and also because it wasn't all just on this island. Absolutely. And look, all
1: politicians are men and now, thankfully, women too, uh, off their time. And it's impossible really to shake the world and the time in which they live uh, from how they lived, you know, and, and how they felt about the world. And, you know, Grattan's first biographer had a, a lovely line. He said, when we examine the character of any public man because, of course, they were just public men then, uh, it is absolutely necessary to consider closely the nature of the society in which he existed and the influence of the passions of his age. A political leader is not like a poet or philosopher who leads an isolated life remote from the passions of their contemporaries. Now, I don't know how many poets would agree with that. <laughs> well, yeah. Poets I know are far from isolated from the rest of the world. But, I mean, the idea of the politician as someone who's shaped but a world around them is always there. And Grattan's time, it's not just a time of massive change in Ireland. I mean, a day after his birthday is the 4th of July. a very Mm, important date uh, mm. in another part of the world. So, for Henry Grattan, born on the 3rd of July, 1746, in Fishamble Street, the passions of his age, we might say, reform, reform, reform. Changing the system. This was post-Jonathan Swift, Ireland, just about, you know, Swift died nine months before the birth of Grattan but a lot of the passions okay. were the same. You know, the belief as Swift believed you could be a Protestant, you could believe in some kind of British connection with Ireland but you could also mm. feel the need for kind of greater uh, legislative, economic and political independence.
0: Yeah, we've, we've talked a little bit more recently actually about Jonathan Swift. I might tweet the link to that one after I'm tweeting this one as well this afternoon to, to catch up on that because there was a real baton there that you could be Anglo-Irish and still believe that there was a role for Ireland to have more of a say in its own affairs. Um, the Parliament on College Green uh, was, and it remains an impressive building albeit not now used for the purpose it was intended Um, but at the time it wasn't up to a huge amount
1: Yeah and later generations kind of nationalist leaders they always called it the the old house on College Green you know Mm. like we would be back in it someday we'll be back in the old house on College Green and sometimes they'd rally outside it and everything and and, uh, you know it it, it retains a great sense of power now even as a site I mean I, I just walk by it uh, earlier on today, and you think about recent times, you know the, the returning heroes of Italia '90, or Barack Obama lecturing us on on the connection between Frederick Douglass uh, and Daniel O'Connell. The mm. building has a tremendous sense of presence, and it was a real statement of intent, I suppose, in the 18th century city. Uh, it went up very quickly. I find this extraordinary. I mean, they they laid the foundation stone in 1729. They opened it for business in 1731. Yeah, you want you know, to get planning permission to build something on that on that scale? <laughs> True, and, you know, it yes. takes me four months to put together an IKEA bookshelf. You know, the idea that you could build a parliament on that scale in two years is just absolutely extraordinary. Mm. But I suppose the irony of ironies is this: Ireland had a magnificent parliament. What she lacked, unfortunately, were magnificent parliamentarians. You know, it had very little power inside that grand old house, and the vast majority of the populace. Uh, were kept at arm's length from getting near the political arena.
0: Yeah, what we should probably explain for people who, who aren't familiar with the building is that what you now know to be the Bank of Ireland and College Green was originally the seat of the Irish Parliament and I believe it was actually the first custom designed uh, bicameral Parliament building as in had two chambers so it had a chamber for the Irish House of Commons and the Irish House of Lords and the first time anywhere in the world that a building had been purpose built designed for that purpose and of course th- this is why then you have so many debates throughout the years and we have independence back as to whether we should go back there but that, that's the whole the building that we're talking about so it is what you now know to be the, the Bank of Ireland on that green
1: Yeah and the scale of it like the Seamus yeah. any exhibition from the National Library is, is a wing of the same building like it's massive yeah. in scale most people will never we do most of our banking on our phone now but you should walk in and have a look at it because it yeah. still has this never been in actually
0: you can still take a tour of the Irish House of Lords and sit on the Woolsack where the speaker used to sit and even <laughs> someone as, as nerdy as me who, <laughs> who knows what that sentence means. <laughs> has, has never actually been there. What I do know is actually that when you talk about how uh, most people were kept at arm's length from the political arena it is telling that the entrance now that the banking entrance uh, which faces the the Westbury or the the Western Hotel is the House of Commons entrance because they had to come in on the street side but the one that's that's facing um, Dame Street with the one which is back that was the House of Lords entrance because the Lords had to be kept away from, <laughs> from the mugs on the street but the House of Com- the, the commoners had to, to come out and, and be among their own Anyway uh, we digress at, at spectacular length uh, Grattan comes from the upper echelons of the upper echelons which, which is not uncommon in those sorts of circles
1: Yeah look for by social class he's typical of an Irish parliamentarian because he is the son of an Irish parliamentarian Ah <laughs> Family dynasties were still a, a, a thing there too. belief in, in the, the ability to be a parliamentarian in, in, in Ireland then and now. And his mother was the daughter of the Attorney General of Ireland. So, I mean, he's a very important bloodline. Studies at the King's Inns, called to the bar, fascinated by London as a young man, spent some time there. But in other ways, he was kind of atypical because, you know, unlike most of those around him, at least when he went into the house, he believed in things like Irish Legislative Independence, you know, the ability of the Irish Parliament to make its own laws and not to be interfered with, uh, you know, for London to lose the power of veto. He believed in the removal of restrictions on Irish Catholics. And he put it brilliantly. He said, the question now is whether we shall be a Protestant settlement or an Irish nation. And we have Ooh. to make this decision. The penal code is the shell in which Protestant power has been hatched. Now that it's become a bird, it must burst the shell or perish in it. And I think he was just someone who could do the maths. You know, when you looked at Irish society, mm. about 80% of the country was Catholic. This was a ticking time bomb, not to mention Presbyterians who were also banned from the political system. So he had an understanding that this had to change. It had to change. And if you don't move with the times, I think there was a feeling in the late 18th century they could move without you. Mm. And I think if you want a sense of what he wanted, you you'll know, walk down the bottom of the Royal Mile in Edinburgh. Uh, mm. Disneyland, Edinburgh. Mm. You know, It's a crazy <laughs> yeah. place. Yeah. The centre of tourist Edinburgh. It links a palace and a castle. But if you walk down the end of the Royal Mile. Uh, there's a Scottish Parliament. You know, it flies a Scottish flag. Scottish voters elect Scottish parliamentarians. They debate Scottish legislation once a year. They all stand up and they sing a great Scottish song by Robbie Burns. But they're still British. You know, mm. <laughs> that's yeah. that's kind of the 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 the, the aspiration: legislative independence even within the broader framework, that had real appeal.
0: Mm. Um, America then, when it comes into being, and you mentioned the fact that he's born before, uh, you know, America's famous birthday, which of course is being marked tomorrow. Um, it really did seem to, to light the way for him and others, this idea that you could have a little bit more of a say in your own affairs.
1: Yeah, and this tiny little island, like the Americans are interested in us. You know, George Washington says on his first St. Patrick's Day in the job, uh, Irish men, your cause is ours. And then Grattan says, amazingly, the two greatest men in modern times are William of Orange and George Washington. Now, that's might sound mad to us That's, that's a leap <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The, the strange hybrid of ideals but they believe and I suppose you know, the, the the idea of being Protestant and democratic that's really at the heart okay. of, of Grattan right. and those around him so America becomes the kind of the great uh, ambition and it's in the aftermath of, of, of 1775 that Grattan succeeds in winning a kind of degree of political independence uh, for the Dublin Parliament the people would then come to know it brilliantly as
0: mm. Grattan's Parliament Even if the statue outside is facing in the wrong direction um, uh, However though and this is maybe one of the great tragedies of it and and perhaps again this is a reason why he's not so remembered in in Irish folklore that Grattan's reformed parliament was not a very long-lived affair No, 1782
1: they win the reform Uh, 1801 the parliament's gone it's a very very short affair and he he describes it beautifully to a friend when he's talking about the Irish parliament Grattan says I set by its cradle and I followed its hearse isn't that a great description (laughs) of an epoch in Irish history Uh, the parliament famously dissolved itself in a panic you know that great saying in the English language uh, actually, recently just proven by the English themselves, that turkeys don't vote for Christmas. Yeah, the Irish Parliament
0: <laughs> is the turkey. I, that I, I sat in the Shannon <laughs> Chamber and watched them ratify the referendum. So I've seen it happen. Actually, famously, that they they also some of them shouted gobble gobble across. Like David Norris was there shouting gobble gobble as the government senators voted to get rid of themselves. Sorry, I interrupted you. <laughs> so it does. It does happen. It
1: does happen. Uh, and when the Irish Parliament dissolves itself and it kind of shifts the political axis entirely, mm. Dublin goes into immediate decline because what, what makes a capital city one of the things as a parliament I would argue and and most people kind of weren't really saddened by its departure Uh, one contemporary said it was the most corrupt parliament that had ever sat in Europe and a member of the parliament a member of the parliament described it as politically vicious and intolerably corrupt but Grattan I suppose was trying to reform what many people thought was unreformable the journey had had only begun
0: It's a story of of, uh, young republics and young parliaments though that they often fall into that kind of corruption because as soon as you devolve power somebody then wants to gobble it up for themselves and not really use it for the benefit of the, the people that Put them there, and um, so with with noble intentions, uh, Grattan refuses to give up this battle. So even after we have the Act of Union and, and even the entity of, of there being a Kingdom of Ireland is no longer true because we're now part of this unitary state with Britain. Um, he becomes a voice then in Westminster, and he, and he's looking to bring it home again.
1: There's something noble about this. He follows it to London. You know, he goes there. He's in his seventies, which is a remarkable age for a parliamentarian in the early 19th it's a remarkable century. Age for anyone, in the yeah, early, even, 19th century, even today yeah. to still be in the political arena. And you know, he argues the case of Ireland uh, in his seventies in London never losing faith in the idea of the return of a a native parliament Uh, and when he dies at Baker Street in London they bury him in Westminster Abbey there's a great debate over whether he should be brought home or or, or buried there but it just says something about about the respect for him even Mm. though his intention was to take Ireland back from the London parliament that they admired him so much as they did in time Parnell and O'Connell and the the memorial is so simple Henry Grattan died June 4 1820 it you know, gives no indication of who he mm. was, what he stood for. What was more significant was the funeral, uh, an astonishing spectacle. The, the crowd that gathered in Westminster Abbey, young Irish Catholic children from the Catholic schools of London, charities that worked in the city, wow. uh, the Irish poor, and they're all dressed in green and someone who was there said they presented a most interesting and affecting spectacle but you know they're also a statement of what was to come that Irish Catholics would be taking their place within the British Parliament mm-hmm. uh, and striving for for an Irish one again just nine years later Daniel O'Connell was there
0: Yeah and indeed less than a century then after uh, Grattan dies then you famously have lots of Irish Catholics getting elected to the Parliament and deciding that that's not the Parliament that they're going to sit in uh, and we, <laughs> we're, we're still dealing with the fallout of that uh, ever since uh, Henry Grattan born on this day in 1746 and his story brought to us with his customer your plum and panache uh, by Donald Fallon who is the author of the community books and of Henrietta Street From Tenement to Suburbia which is about the modern social history uh, of our capital city now with a parliament for better or worse uh, he's also the presenter of the Three Castles Burning podcast on Dublin history On the
1: Record with Gavin Riley Sunday morning
0: at 11 Brought to you by PwC Combining talent and technology we're hardwired to find solutions It all adds up the new equation
1: on News Talk.